Good evening, everyone in Alberta, Canada, and beyond. It is Wednesday, November 29th, 2023, and I'm Carrie Lambert, and I welcome you to an online webinar evening of solutions for a new Alberta brought to you by the Alberta Press Party Project, also known as APP. APP's purpose is to educate, inspire, and unite all Albertans, businesses, and organizations to protect the prosperity, individual freedoms, rights, and sovereignty by empowering the Alberta government to restructure Alberta's relationship with Canada. Of course, we couldn't do this without your help this first time watching. Well, thank you so much for, for joining. And if you're a long, regular APP webinar viewer, thank you for your support. We couldn't do this without, without you. APP is membership driven and a goal of a million plus members to help steer the political process. Uh, we, I would normally show you the albertaprosperityproject.com, but I've got a bunch of different windows open because we've got a bunch of stuff to cover tonight. But you can go to albertaprosperityproject.com. APP memberships are one year for $20, two years for 30, three years for 40, or you can make a donation there. Uh, we also want to uh, acknowledge registering for the petition to force a referendum on Alberta's independence. And you can go to this, I can actually show you. Go to da, 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 right there at the bottom, bit.ly slash AB vote yes. We are looking for roughly 600,000 members to join. And look at that. Chris is all over the top here. There you go. Thank you, buddy. Good for you. <laughs> Chris is Chris is the producer on, on his end tonight. So that actually works great. So you can go there with uh, bit.ly slash AB vote yes. Uh, tonight's episode is called Climate Change, the Basics of the Issue and the Metrics with David Liskowski, who's a renewable resources technologist and researcher who's been speaking out against anthropogenic climate change. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And of course, we all, always have APP's interim CEO, Chris Scott, who will be joining us as well, as you can see that he's already been up on the screen with that. And with that, I will actually bring David and Chris onto the screen right now. Well, it's about Good evening, time. gentlemen. <laughs> What's that? It's about time. <laughs> Good evening. He's so impatient back there. How are you, David? Good evening. Are you good? Are you? Uh, yeah, your 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 microphone's working. Your your everything's all good. I don't know if he's frozen or not, because that could be a problem if he's frozen. Yeah. Are you working uh, there, David? You're really. You're, no, I'm good. You're uh, coming in and you're coming in in bits and pieces. It's kind of. Okay, staticky, and blocky. you're. You're kind of on the same thing on our end too. So Your internet maybe yeah. experiencing um, an ice age. <laughs> it's possible. Are we are we able to continue with this, David? Are you okay, or do you need to log back out? Log back in, maybe. You know what? We'll give it another uh, ten seconds. If not, we always have other stuff that we can be showing here. David, are you okay? I can try logging out and logging back in if you like. Okay, yeah. Try that. And in the meantime, I'm going to play uh, – do you want me to play the uh, the, the second clip? Uh, what, the, what you can do is maybe yeah. play the first do you want, video we'll, we'll while I do that. Yeah, we'll call it – do you want me to play the Leonard Nimoy or video? I say one. Go ahead. Okay, let's do that one. Okay, so David's going to log off, and yeah. uh, I'm going to play this video. Run the Ice uh, Age video. Yes, absolutely. Okay. okay, thank you. So be riveted, people. Be riveted. I, I, yeah, there you go. 
I'm already riveted. <laughs> there is little doubt that someday the ice will return. At least eight times in the past million years, it has advanced and retreated with clockwork regularity. If we are unprepared for the next advance, the result could be hunger and death on a scale unprecedented. So just so you know, this is from 1978. What are telling us now is that the threat of an ice age is not as remote as they once thought. During the lifetime of our grandchildren, Arctic cold and perpetual snow could turn most of the inhabitable portions of our planet into a polar desert. I know, I know. 1977, the worst winter in a century struck the United States. This wasn't born ripped the Midwest for weeks on end. Great blizzards paralyzed cities of the Northeast. One desperate night in Buffalo, eight people froze to death in marooned cars. One of the questions that I'm frequently asked is, when will this present warm interval end? And the best answer to that probably is that it has, in fact, already ended, and it ended 3,000 years ago right here on Baffin Island. The summer of 1972 was one of the most severe summers on record, and the ice never melted that summer. And when I returned to Broughton Island, one of the local settlements here, talking to the Inuit people, and they could only tell me that their fathers had told them of a time when the ice hadn't gone out. This once-in-a-lifetime summer ice has surprised old-time Arctic residents. Ernie Sieber is superintendent of Baffin Island National Park and has lived in the Arctic for over 20 years. We had, uh, in 1973, we had uh, ice all, uh, all over at the East Coast. Uh, the fjords, uh, some of the ice in the fjords uh, didn't even leave. And uh, almost every year since, uh, we had uh, ice uh, moving in and out of the fjords. Uh, so it looks like uh, the climate has changed. It looks like it, it turned colder. Since concern for our weather has increased, the park wardens now take daily records of temperatures, wind, and solar radiation. Weather data from stations all over the Arctic is collected and fed into central computers. Balloons are launched every day to monitor the winds and temperatures at high altitudes. The data shows that average temperatures in the Arctic have fallen dramatically over the last 30 years. In most locations, the drop has been about 2 degrees centigrade. At that rate, the descent to ice age temperatures could take less than 200 years. It is not only the lonely Arctic that has cooled. The whole northern hemisphere is growing steadily colder. In Greenland, the snows of centuries have piled up on the largest ice cap in the northern hemisphere. Scientists have recently discovered evidence of a climatic catastrophe. Drilling down over 1,400 meters, geologists have collected precious samples of ancient ice. Some of it fell as snow over 100,000 years ago. The ice is shipped south, where it is kept frozen at minus 35 degrees and carefully divided up for study. Right after this, they found Brendan Fraser. <laughs> By separating out the two forms of oxygen in the ice, 
scientists have been able to chart the temperatures when it fell as snow. Near the bottom of the ice cap, they found traces of widespread freezing occurring with dramatic suddenness. Dr. Chester Langway is chairman of the geology department at the State University of New York, Buffalo. We have evidence from the ice core studies that approximately 89,000 years ago, the global climate changed from one of greater warmth than today into one of glacial severity. It is possible that a tremendous volcanic event occurred, shielding the sun, cooling the Earth's temperatures, and thereby providing the explanation of the advancing glaciers. The significance of this catastrophic event is that within a hundred year period of time, that the glaciers could have re-advanced over the surface of the Earth. It is possible that we may enter into such a cold climate almost instantaneously in the very near future. We're only beginning to understand the cyclic history of the ice, but evidence is mounting that another ice age is due. The most persuasive data comes from beneath the sea. The research ship Vima sails the world's oceans, taking samples of sediments deposited long ago. A crew of scientists rig a long cylinder and drop it vertically to the ocean floor. The cylinder dredges up mud from the seabed in the form of long cores. The types of tiny fossils found at different levels in the core shows the sea temperatures of the past. Geologists have collected enough sea cores to form a detailed history of climate during the last million years. The cores are analyzed at the Lamont Doherty Geological Laboratory of Columbia University. Dr. James Hayes leads the research. The climatic record in these deep sea cores tells us that there have been eight ice ages in the last 700,000 years. It also tells us when they have occurred. This provides us with a test of various theories of the ice ages. We now have a theory that tells us that changes in the shape of the Earth's orbit act as a pacemaker for the ice age succession. Since this theory can precise, precisely predict when ice ages occurred in the past, which can be tested against these deep sea cores, it also can predict when ice ages will occur in the future. From this theory, we can say with confidence Oops. that we are currently heading toward another ice age. Clearly, one of the future's great problems will be to survive the next ice age. Earth, water, air, and ice comprise a delicate system in which everything is connected to everything else. It's the interaction between people and climate that worry me the most, because with everyone jammed in in countries, locked in in national boundaries, a change in climate means a redistribution of where the rain is, where the growing seasons are. My worst fear is that the climate could induce a change in some country that would be devastating to their local survivability, and that would lead them to desperate acts that can drag everybody else down.
There you go. Some scary stuff. That was yeah. uh, that was that was back in uh, 1978, and it was Leonard Nimoy's In Search of. If you remember that, he used to do In Search of Atlantis and In Search of, I don't know. 1978. Uh, 1970. That was the year before you were born. You know what? I could have been conceivably conceived to that video. <laughs> that's a that's a different uh, different story altogether. We're uh, we are having trouble with David. David's going to try logging back in though. There's David again. Are you are you working this time? Do you think you can always try and log in through your phone too if you've got a stronger signal on your phone? Yeah, it appears to be the quality of the internet connection. Yeah, I just tried putting on my headset. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, yeah. we can hear you. Even if you drop frames, we're we're yeah. still good to go. I just did an analysis. So. I got a good strong pipe. I got a good. Okay. Okay. So we watched the video, 1978. That was the uh, the consensus back then, or the science. That was the science back then. We were coming into a new ice age. The evidence was mounting towards that. That's right. And so what has happened since then? David's got his own ice age going on there. We're still, we're still heading toward an ice age. Yeah. We're still heading towards an ice age. We're, we're still heading toward an ice age. Okay. Yes, we are. I'm wondering whether. Okay, I'm, I was just going to say. I wonder if we just get rid of your uh, your uh, video feed. Maybe that will help. We'll still be able to hear you. Of course, it's happened before. Do you want to try and do that? Sorry, my apologies to people that are that are tuning in. We we tried this this afternoon and everything seemed to be working fine. Get rid of the camera? Yeah, get rid of the camera. Get rid of the Either camera. Turn it off. Yeah, get rid of the camera. You can stop your cam in the in the little settings there. And we'll just see whether or not that uh that speeds things up here. All right, okay, let's see so if let's see if uh, we can right hear now? David talking now. Are you there, David? Yeah. Maybe he's half choppy. Up. Still yeah, choppy. Even though, okay. Here. Yeah. You seem to be pretty choppy there too. You're gonna you're gonna have to you're gonna have to try uh, logging in just on your phone or something. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you try doing that? I sent you the link. Uh, I texted you the link. Why don't you try on your phone? And in the meantime, we always have yet another video we can watch. Well, I, I got some stuff to say about that last yes, video. Yes, well, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think you know, that's... I've always, I've always got things to say. <laughs> so did you notice that in that video, they play some kind of unsettling music in the background? Of course they do, because that was the that was the idea. That was the whole show in search of. Everybody was... So when, when, when we hear when we see videos that have that kind of thing and we hear those kind that kind of backdrop music to it, yeah. um, there's a, that's purposefully done. Like the, the, the maker of those videos are trying to make you feel something. Yeah. That's yeah. what's going on here. They're trying to make you feel scared and they're telling mm -hmm. you the evidence is mounting and this is what the evidence suggests. Now, the evidence was not mounting towards uh, uh, impending ice age because here we are uh, 50, however many years later, and we have not experienced an ice age. We'd had some 
you know, one degree up and down in our temperature, but we never experienced that. But there were people who based their actions on the emotional response they had to that video and others at the time. And we're seeing the same thing going on right now. Uh, we have tons of groups that are trying to scare people into doing something, whether it's supporting that group or not supporting another group or pursuing an anti-human agenda to fight this impending earth on fire by 2016. Thank you, true. Al Gore, for that one. Yeah. Right. So th these are things that we have to really pay attention to because um, we're not all scientists. Right, Carrie? I mean, you and I are we're we're scientists, right? Oh, totally. We're uh, I've got my PHMOUSE. Yeah, me too. I have that one as well. But what we can do is we can use good discernment yeah. to separate the bull poop yes. from reality. And then we can determine what our course forward should be. So yeah. and, and, now? and even that's why we like getting these experts or people that have done more research than probably everybody watching here combined. That's the yeah. important thing too, is that we don't have time to do the, our own research on one particular topic. Neither does anybody watching. So we try and bring in the experts, of course, bring doctors in, lawyers, any professional, and we, we dissect what we need to. And, and we, we get them to present, uh, a, 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 present a, a case in particular based upon their findings. And it's not like we've gone out and specifically looked for someone that is against climate change or anything like that. I would welcome someone on here that is totally all for, you know, the world is going to burn by 2016 and we should have that conversation. I'd welcome that. So if you Maybe know anybody heard, that, this is the afterlife. This is definitely, yeah, there's, yeah, we're, we're in. Uh, explain the weirdness. That would definitely explain the weirdness. So here's right. the thing. Yeah, yes. we, we do try and bring on experts to talk about these things. And the reason we do that is because, oh, I heard it. Carrie, did you hear that? Somebody banged on the keyboard? just said, Chris, you're not a climatologist. How dare you? Well, you're right. I'm not a climatologist. <laughs> but I do have two brain cells to rub together. And I can look at things that are going on in the world around me and make logical conclusions. I don't, I don't, uh, um, pretend to know it all. I don't think that I know it all, but I can see that Al Gore's prediction that the earth was going to catch on fire by 2016 if we didn't reach uh, or cut our emissions down by 90% or whatever, I can see that that didn't occur. And even yeah. back then in, I think it was 2007, 2008, he was talking about that. I knew that was a load of malarkey. I could see that they were using studies that were based on computer models where you could input uh, parameters that would make that model spit out whatever you wanted it to. You remember mm -hmm. the classic hockey stick graph that never oh, came yeah. to pass? Yeah. You yeah. know, we can we can figure these things out on our own. We don't have to be climatologists to, to, to call out BS when we see it. And that's really important to remember here. Like, we'll bring on people who can talk about these things. And actually, while we're on that topic, um, folks, if you're interested in this conversation, uh, Where's my screen share? Go and check out this right here. Energytalkingpoints.com. So this is our friend, Alex Epstein. He did an event with us in Calgary. And uh, he did a fantastic presentation as to why we should be using more hydrocarbons, hydrocarbons, not less. Yeah. So if you head over to energytalkingpoints.com, there's tons of information there that you can use when you're having conversations with your climate hard, no, no, that's not the right word. Climatolo 
climate don't climate say apocalypse. that i don't know what the word is your climate uh, uh fanatic friends right yeah. they'll call us climate deniers well yes i am going to deny that the climate is going to change uh, to the point where we can never recover if we don't stop existing i'll deny that every time but these are some good points uh to to know to be able to speak to people like this so that video yeah. carrie yeah um that i'm assuming scientists was talking about how Baffin Island was record cold. The ice wasn't breaking. We're going to be in these horrible winters, ice age, whatever. Yeah. Do you know what has allowed human beings to flourish and prosper in the face of climate events such as that one that they were talking about in 1970s? And yep. you remember the videos from Canada where people were snowed in and like their houses were buried on the East Coast? Yeah. The very thing that prevented us from dying during those times is the thing that uh, these climate alarmists are trying to get rid of now. And that is our cheap and abundant energy that's, that's allowed right. us to master the climate. And I see David is back. David's back. And I think he might have some problems with his microphone. He might be getting back background feedback. So we're just going to, we're going to unmute him and see how that goes. I think you're fine now. You should be able to hear and see me. Okay. I yep. can yeah, definitely do that. Excellent. Much better. Okay. So Where tell us... We were just talking about uh, in that video, that Leonard Nimoy video we watched, who is fantastic, by the way. I love that guy. So yeah. Hear you fast. Uh, we were just talking about how the very thing that they're attacking uh, is the thing that allows us to master the climate when those climate events happen. So that's kind of where we were, uh, what we were on to while you were away. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your input on this. You want me to start at the beginning and introduce myself and... Sure, That's a yes. very good place to start. We haven't yes. even, <laughs> we're yeah. uh, 20 minutes into the video, and uh, we haven't even introduced David yet. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Well, I'll, I'll try to be. I'll try to be real brief. I mean, I, I'm I am an environmentalist. I made up my mind really early in life I was going to be in environmental protection. So, if anybody thinks I'm an oil rig worker and I'm just pushing, you know, petrochemical, that's not the not the fact at all. Um, when I was in high school, I had a project to do. Um, I barely got my driver's license. I actually broke into a in, industrial site, took pictures mm -hmm. of overflow of chemicals into a river, and made the news and got them to clean up their act. And you know, I, I went on to be a, a forestry technician, a conservation officer, an enforcement officer with the Department of Environment federally. Uh, I've been on pipeline spills. I've been on you know environmental disasters in the Queen Charlotte's and BC and you know, this is a this is a sort of a tough issue because, as you saw, in, in 1978, I just got out of school back then. You know, mm -hmm. Al, Gore, Al Gore got F in meteorology. I got an A plus. I actually got 100% in meteorology. I was very interested in it in college. And the consensus in the late 70s was that it's a you know 10 to 12,000 year cycle when you see us going in and out of ice ages. And the powers that be really thought they could control the globe politically by scaring people um, about the coming ice age. And they sincerely tried it. I mean, what can you do about a coming ice age? But um, the downside was, you know, this is not an even uh, change from one interglacial period to another. You get peaks and valleys. So the world entered a bit of a warming phase up until, you know, from 1979, I guess, up until fairly recently, 2000 and uh, at least 15, 
we had a slight warming trend. So then they had to change their mind. And that's that's in my slideshow projection there. Yeah. Now, environmentalists, a lot of us knew it was wrong when people started saying we're changing the weather. We we knew it. But for people that are really looking for ways to try to fix real pollution issues, we were told, look, let's go along with the scam because while we're shutting down carbon dioxide, we're also doing something about NOx and SOx, you know, nitrous emissions, sulfur dioxides, whatever. So where's the harm, you know? So for many years, a lot of people just went along with this scam because, I mean, there was no carbon tax. Nobody was getting shut That's down. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It wasn't painful when this thing started. But the problem was, as you see from my slideshow, it developed into something very nefarious. So mm -hmm. that's my background. I mean, I'm that's I'm sort of guilty. And I, I just want to point out that you'll you'll probably never meet anyone who's an environmental science person who has known the facts and then been won over to the environmental extremist scare tactic. You're probably mm -hmm. never going to meet them. Thousands, yeah. thousands of people have just gone along with this agenda as I did for a short time and then said, look, I just can't do it anymore. And that's where we're at now. I mean, we're at the point now where at some point, Danielle Smith, Pierre Polyevra, somebody is going to have to say the emperor is wearing no clothes. Wow. We're going to get, we're going to get there. So this is part of it. And I'm, like I say, I am, I have researched a few things myself. Uh, a few years ago in the mid nineties, I did a, a biogas uh, part of an experiment research project for the government of Ontario, uh, where we captured uh, animal manure methane and made it into burnable fuel. And we, and I developed a system for capturing carbon dioxide. You know, there's, um, th there is a point where, you know, the politicians that, that you meet, um, they're scared to do anything because they don't want to lose votes. So by yes. doing series like tonight, enough people, enough research, enough pr false projections should trigger people that, you know, politicians, a lot of, lot of them know what's going on here. They know what's a scam. They know what's shutting everything down. But nobody has really decided to be the point person to say, mm -hmm. I'm just going to have to say it. The emperor is not wearing any clothes. So wow. that, that that's why I'm here, trying to share the information. And I, as I said, I'm just a technologist, but mm -hmm. I feel like I'm one of the public in a way. My skill set is I don't I don't act as a PhD uh, professor. I'm not a world expert on anything, but I mm -hmm. do understand the language. I understand the technology. And I'm here as a member of the public saying, I'm willing to say the emperor has no clothes. Excellent. Okay, so that's where I'm coming from. Okay. Chris, do you have any comments with that? You're all good to go? Uh, I'm good to go. I was just uh, looking at something that I wanted to uh, share on my screen, but I can't find it. So, But okay. I really want to see that slideshow. Okay. So is that okay if we just jump right into that, David? Yeah, and if, if people don't mind the slideshow, I'm going to condense it a little bit. So I'm going to try to skip through some of the slides because it's – Maybe 45 minutes long, and we've lost a bit of time today. So, okay, sure, whatever. Okay, I'm gonna put it up on the stage, and then you tell me when you want to change the change the slide. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Okay. I mean, 
Okay, the my screen is flashing quite a bit, but I can read it, and I have it running on a computer beside me here too. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I start off with a biblical reference. I'm a Christian, and I, you know, I feel like sometimes Christians should be smarter than the average bear. We should have a little bit of discernment, and the Bible does say that some of us we can't even we can't even predict the weather. Not you know, never mind reading the sign of the times, and obviously the sign of the times now is we're being hoodwinked. So, yeah. anyway. There's a campaign of fear going on, and we have to recognize it for what it is. It's just a campaign of fear. That's all. Yeah. Okay. Next. Okay. So, you know, we're Canadians, and uh, we're told this line that there's a, a boiling earth out there. The temperatures in the industrialized period, especially the last 100 years, have really done a lot of damage. So I've gone to a website, and I, I hope you guys out there can check the uh, it's called CDN, Climate Discussion Nexus, with uh, John Robson. And he's put together a bunch of charts. Basically, any Canadian could go to Stats Canada and actually look at the annual temperature chart from 1919 and compare it to 2019. So, you know, let's just go through these slides. The first one is BAMP. Okay. And you, you people out there, you tell me. There's two curves there. One curve is 1919, one is 2019. You tell me if, based on the pure science, without the cheerleaders out there and the, and the fear mongers, you tell me if these charts indicate to you that something very severe is happening with our weather. So there's yeah. BAM. Take a good look at it. Yeah. Okay, next one. That's Atlan, BC. I'm sorry, I can't tell the difference. Next yeah. one is Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. So just in case you think this is just you know, the same in BC, but not the same in the middle of Canada or at the East Coast. Look at the next one. That's Welland, Ontario. Yeah. And then look at Fredericton. Honestly, you tell me if the actual facts, and I know everybody says back when I was in my grandfather's barn and the cows were coming out that one winter, you know, it was horrible and we haven't had a winter like that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Everybody has a dozen stories like that. That's called weather. Yeah. <laughs> That's not climate. These are the actual charts for a 12-month period in Canadian cities from 100 years ago till now. I'm sorry. I can't tell the difference. Yeah. So That's there true. it is. Okay. Yeah. So let's go to the next one. Now, this is a summary of 10,000 years. Because mm -hmm. people kind of know that we have had weather changes from time to time. So this is a summary well, actually, it's 12,000 years, and um, it's showing the difference between the ice age and the warm periods, and then a mi another ice, mini ice age, and then another warming period. Mm -hmm. You see the, the, red, the red portions are the warming peri warm periods in the last 12,000 years, mm -hmm. how extreme they were and how long they lasted. So the Holocene climate optimum was way worse, you know, going back 8,000 to 4,000 years. Yeah. Yeah. Much warmer for much longer. We're in what they call a modern warm period, which, you know, in the space of 12,000 years, what we're experiencing right now is 100% natural and absolutely nothing to be worried about. That's it. Yeah. Next slide. Um, you know, there are people who tell me they can look at rocks, they can look at uh, fossils and and various proxy data and they can tell us what things were like in hundreds of thousands of years and you know i can dispute you can dispute their proxy 
formulas, but this is pretty much agreed upon. If you go back and look at the four notable periods that you can find geologically and archaeologically, we are in the, the, the mildest of the four that people have been able to unearth. Hmm. <clears throat> this, is, this is a longer term uh, explanation of, of Earth's history. Yeah. Okay. The next one is very interesting. NASA, and anybody can go to NASA and, and find this. NASA plots the uh, temperature change, and uh, this is from 1880 to 2020. And what, what they've done is they've, they've actually created a scale, which is zero degrees Fahrenheit to 60 degrees Fahrenheit, because yeah. this is the range of human experience, right? So never mind those anecdotal, you know, one month storm and one, one winter in 1967 i was there too if you look at the experience of the human condition starting from the left to the right do you see any spikes there do you see a horrible increase i don't it's red so it looks scary it's scary well yeah but look at the top of the red because see those show you the 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 uh the very top of that bar that's an entire year each one of those bars the entire year so when you look at the top it shows you the trend from yeah. 1880. yeah i'm looking at it on my laptop which i'm playing the uh, powerpoint from and just so you know so whatever that is the the 1880 is like i'm going to say 57 as a high and in 2020 it's 59 maybe 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 58 yeah those are scary yeah. yeah. So maybe a one, maybe two degrees at the most. But yeah. So if somebody out there wants to argue with me, that's fine. They can call NASA yeah. tomorrow and take it up with them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So next one, I'm just going to remind people. Um, this was a statement from Lowell Ponty. Uh, this this was the statement that was made, you know, in the 70s when I was in school. It's a cold fact. Global cooling presents humankind with the most important social, political, and adaptive challenge we've had to deal with in 10,000 years. Mm. You can see what they were trying to do in the global cooling scare. They just switched to global warming. Yeah. But the, the thought, it's the thought that counts, right, guys? <laughs> okay, let's go to the next one. Okay, so you've, you've heard of this... Uh, rising oceans, you know, yes. the city opera house was supposed to be underwater, the Statue of Liberty was supposed to be underwater. Yeah. This is something people have totally forgotten about. Have you ever heard of Zealandia and Doggerland? Mm -hmm. So Zealandia, New Zealand right now is 75% underwater. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Didn't happen when we started driving SUVs. Okay, Doggerland, it's a time in Europe when England was attached to Europe. That whole area that's underwater between England and Europe um, was the most fertile, prosperous places in Europe. Those continent continents, portions of continents sunk way before the oceans rose because we explore for oil here in Alberta. Yeah. Yeah. So these things happen. There's thousands of sunken cities around the Mediterranean. Now, I'm going to show a slide a little later, but it is a fact that for, between 1984 and 2019, uh, you know, contrasting to uh, historical times, there's actually more shoreline around the continents than there was, like more in 2019 than there was in 1984. 
So our shorelines of continents are now actually growing. So does that mean the, the water's receding? Is that? Uh... Okay. There's, there's two, two different things happening. Number yeah. one, number one, I'm trying to address the scare tactic. Yeah, okay. Because, you know, the scare is that unless we switch to electrics, the oceans will swallow up our continents and we will have flooding. That's right. Well, you can't you can't have additions to the size of the continent and still lose your continent due to flooding. Mm -hmm. You know, like I heard just heard today, um, many, many years ago, the Maldives and um, north of Australia, you know, there are islands they are supposed to have been sunken and covered by water 20, 30 years ago. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right now, if you buy a nice house in the Maldives, it's $7 million because yeah. they scared everybody off. And then when everybody was gone, the land developers bought up land and now they're yeah. developing, you know, they put a $500 million airport in there. Yeah. So yeah. This point, yeah. these places are not being inundated. We're not losing any places due to flooding because of climate change. Yeah. Okay. Next slide. This one here is really hard to see because it's so busy, but there's two colors. There's green and there's red. The green shows growth of continental land okay. the red shows places that it's eroded or been flooded so by satellite observation we know the places that have actually had some flooding and places that they've actually the continent is either risen or you know we've had deposition called prograding where dirt has actually been washed ashore and stayed there without going away the, the, the most important line in this here is figure nine. Um, it says the globally average shoreline change rate is about 0.26 meters a year, which is slightly larger than zero and suggests global coastlines are prograding. Hmm. That means that satellite observation has been showing that the continents and the shorelines especially are getting, are getting larger, not smaller. Hmm. So next slide. I don't know how well this shows up because it's a lot of great tones here. So this is uh, North America and South America. It's hard to see because of the arrows. But I'll challenge somebody that tells me the oceans worldwide are increasing because as you see, there are dark blue arrows pointing down yeah. and there are green and yellow arrows pointing up. So this is showing you across all of the west coast of uh, especially the west coast of uh, North America and South America, place by place, there are places where the the crust is subsiding and the water's gone up a little bit, and then there's the opposite. So my question is, why are there any arrows pointing up? Like, why are there any areas where there is more land now than there was 100 years ago? That is if, true. Yeah. You know, there, there should be none. We should just have... According, according, you know, to the uh, the scaremongers, all around the world, all we should have is a whole bunch of arrows showing that the water is encroaching on land, you know, in one degree or another. Mm -hmm. But actually, there's a mixture all over the globe. So the next one, we're looking at Europe and Africa. Mm -hmm. Same thing. There are a couple of places where land has actually subsided a bit, but most of the green arrows are showing the land has actually risen. Uh, in relation to the coastline, to the water. So, you know, these are comparing the level of the ocean to the level of the land. It's spotty. Now, personally, 
I could take all of the areas showing that land has risen and say, and build a case for no change. But what the other side has done is they've, they've been very selective on areas saying, look at where the water has increased on the land. So they're going around the world and they're finding places where the land has subsided and they're saying that because of climate change, they're getting flooding. But that's not the case. It's just simple crust subsidence. It's erosion. And then they're forgetting to mention there's also deposition. There's also prograding where the waves have brought sediment to the land and left it there. Every time it recedes, it's actually adding more land to the land. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the next slide is just showing you the lost continent of Zealandia. <clears throat> this happened before global warming. Like just imagine now, you know, with this scare going on, if this natural phenomena where this land naturally subsided into the ocean was happening now can you imagine oh, yeah actually I, let me can i interject something there certainly there's a really good lesson we learned from the netherlands uh, the netherlands would potentially be underwater right now had it not been for human intervention and mastering their energy so right. i would argue that in today's world if we were facing a climate threat that was uh that was going to uh lose a continent like this underwater we would very likely be able to manage it right yeah, and that's that's an if. If. Yeah. Okay, so this New Zealand, next slide. And I guess it would depend on how fast it happened, too. Like, if we saw that it was actually happening over the course of, say, you know, 50 or 100 years, I think we can end that has that hasn't even been yeah but that hasn't even been talked about all they've talked about that i've uh, that i've heard about the whole climate change thing is miami i don't know if you've heard about miami and how their uh, their their water and sewer dugouts and, and that are all done up differently than everywhere else and uh, and and they really just need to figure out how to how to better plan that that's that's the big thing that they've got going on the big fear mongering is that they have to tax more in miami in order to save miami so but they're really using it under this whole climate change thing yeah so this yeah. next slide is just showing you what also happened before the current scare doggerland if somebody wants to read a fascinating history of doggerland it, it is just fascinating the trade routes that all happened there just imagine if that happened now with this uh, made up scare. Yeah. Next slide. I have to have one, at least one joke in the slide, okay? <laughs> yeah. And that's true. When I was in school, there were only like seven to 10,000 polar bears. And today there's 30,000 minimum. I've heard maybe it's as much as 50,000. Mm -hmm. It's amazing yeah. how fast an animal with zero predators can recover. <laughs> well, a couple of things. I mean, there is genetically no difference between a polar bear and a brown bear um you know they'll they'll go where the food is and there's different phases of the same bear pretty much and i just want to point this out the um the climate scare used the extinction of the polar bear as a poster child and right. uh, it's the only time people should know this it's the only time in history that an animal has been declared endangered because of a computer model. Hmm. When they declared the polar bear endangered, nobody counted them. Nobody nobody in the climate scare uh, camp counted them. Real scientists 
really counting polar bears knew all along that there was a healthy population of polar bears. But when they declared them endangered, they never referred back to any actual Inuit, Greenlanders, Siberians, Canadian scientists to ask them, have you actually got a count of the polar bears? Hmm. They used a computer model and they programmed the computer model to say, if the Arctic is melting and if the food goes away because of global warming, theoretically what would happen to the polar bear and the model said, well, then they would go extinct. So they declared them endangered. Wow. Wow. Skull buggery. Now, I remember, I remember back in the nineties, again, the pre-internet, if you want to call it that, or at least uh, commonplace internet, um, they actually showed videos and maybe even pictures on the, in the newspaper of a polar bear stuck in the middle of the ice on an ice sheet and the ice sheet they were saying was shrinking and the bear was unable to get out and blah, blah, blah. And this is what was happening because of global warming. Do you remember that? Um, actually, I do remember it. I, I did follow that story through and that bear had cancer. They actually there. found that individual bear. Wow. wow. So total lie. Have you guys been keeping up with David Attenborough's story of falling walruses? No. Okay, the story goes that because the ice is uh, melting and the walrus had lack of food and they're crammed into less and less, because the, the water, the ice is going away, which they needed, and the land is shrinking. Polar, the walruses were having to be crowded, and because they were crowded on less and less land, the poor beasts, you know, they were committing suicide by jumping off the cliffs and dying. And it's very dramatic, this falling walrus thing. And it yeah. was all in the name of, you know, we, we have to stop the ice from melting. Um, turns out the reason the walrus fell was because they're so healthy in population that even though there's no change whatsoever in the size of the land that they haul out on, there were so many polar bears, they didn't fit on the same land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There are even some people who say it was actually the photographer's drone filming the walrus that scared it enough that it fell off the cliff. Wow. Okay. Now, the other thing to know about it is, this has been well found out, the, the, the film footage was not taken where they said it was taken. It was in a totally different location. Um, so they even lied about the location. And then other people have said since that, Actually, a falling walrus is, a, is an everyday occurrence because that's how polar bear hunt walrus. They charge into the herd, they scatter, and they know that pol the polar bears know that the walrus is going to eventually fall off something and then the polar bear can catch it before it gets in the ocean. So it was wow. a completely fabricated story. I mean, the other, the other story on this trend is um, there's been recently pictures of seabirds and they say these poor birds now because of pollution and climate change, whatever, that they have to eat plastic and there's, you know, signs that there's dead birds of plastic all around. Well, these environmentalists actually found a dead bird, accumulated some plastic debris from the shoreline and, and staged a picture to make it look as if that's what's happening. And the second thing that David Attenborough was, I believe, you know, I don't want to get myself in trouble here, but, you know, mm -hmm. as a viewer, the, the, the documentary that I saw was the um, the poor baby birds in the nest had plastic. And what the story actually didn't tell was these birds had no pebbles to put in their gizzards. So these young birds, in order to feed properly, they have to have something abrasive in their gizzards. Okay, and there was yeah. no 
there was nothing else on the island except for soft debris and hard flat rock so the parents being smart picked up some small bits of plastic here and there which actually went in their gizzards and allowed the baby birds to eat and of course they vomit they vomit what's in the gizzards up and of course mm -hmm. these crazy environmentalists saw the birds vomiting plastic and they said see what we're doing we're polluting the ocean but actually it was just a natural thing they needed something to put in their gizzards yeah. so you know these things are heartbreaking yeah. yeah not the way true scientists should be yeah well i saw another documentary where they were saying that polar bears were under such a threat and they had so little food that they were forced to work for coca-cola <laughs> i knew it was going to be a joke. <laughs> sorry i couldn't help it <laughs> okay so i'm going to go into a little bit of a i i guess next slide okay so how did this all happen because okay i'm making the contention that there was nothing scientific or environmental that happened to, to create the scare that we're having right now so there was a transition from the use potential use of global cooling to global warming mm -hmm. so okay i'm going by research from dr tim ball and others who, who very you know rosa coyer and, and others have written books on how this all got started and i'm going to make a couple of points at the end that i think pretty much explain how it happened but this is historical uh, as, far, as far as I can determine. So is basically this current scare started with David Rockefeller and the Club of Rome. Mm -hmm. Now that club started what they call a crisis creation think tank. And at the time, way back then, it was Gorbachev who said, we move toward the new world order. And in, in the book that I read, the quote was, environmental crisis will bring about a one world government. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand this. Nobody said, the world is getting too warm, too quick. Let's do something scientific about it. That's not how this started. Okay, this was the thinking, you know, according to the people whose books that I read. Mm -hmm. So Maurice Strong in 1991 started what they call Earth uh, Charter. And back then they were calling it the new 10 commandments of the new world religion. Next slide. Okay, and I don't know if you guys have read the, the, the book 1984. Oh, yes, we quote it all the time. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> when I was in high school, I played lead in the play. I was Winston Smith. I memorized the oh, whole yeah. book. Fr oh, Fr yeah. <laughs> wow. And, it, you know, the way that they had people engaged in the book of 1984 was by every area of land of the continent of the globe was always constantly at war with somebody else. Mm -hmm. This is what this is what they said. Um Quote, in searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that population, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and like would fit the bill. All these dangers are caused by human intervention, and it is only through changed attitudes and behavior that they can be overcome. The real enemy, then, is humanity itself. Okay, so yeah. okay, this hopefully explains some things to some people. Next slide. Now, if you see what's happening country by country by country, like especially in Holland, you see what happened with their farming. You see what's happening here in Alberta with, with good industry. You, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. If you look around the world, you think these people are allowing economies to collapse. This is an actual quote from a book of history. 
where Marie Strong is quoted, isn't the only hope for the planet that industrialized nations collapse? And isn't it our responsibility to bring that about? Does this explain some things? Chris is, uh, you're muted, Chris. Is that better? I was waiting for you to do something. Yep, there I you. was just lip syncing anyway. <laughs> I was saying uh, that brings up a, a, a point. Something we hear a lot is we have to reduce impact, reduce impact. And That's if you really dig down into what impact they're looking to reduce, um, it's not, you know, the impact of CO2. It's not the impact of nuclear. It's not the impacts that we're going to be seeing for solar and, and wind uh, installations. It's human impact. And the previous quote, actually, uh, it even solidifies that, that argument. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so next slide. So I recommend a book by Elaine Duars called Cloak of Green. She contends Strong was using the UN as a platform to sell a global environmental crisis and a global governance agenda. So those are tied together, okay? Those things are tied together. So what transpired next was they set up the United Nations Environmental Program, so that's UNEP, and mm -hmm. that was announced at the uh, Rio conference in 1992. Next slide. So from the Earth Summit in 92, they had the Rio Declaration that became the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. And then, of course, that produced Agenda 21. Yeah. And um, I, bought the, I bought the book. I, I've got everything that happened in Agenda 21, and there it is. And they just then started having the Conference of Parties. Um, just so people understand this, too, like it's do as I say, not as I do. That first conference, I think they had... 7,000 people. The next one, they had 10,000. Apparently, the conference is going on either today or tomorrow. They're expecting 70,000 world leaders. Yeah, to I go believe that. Yeah. Yeah. And the last one, there were 1,500 private jets jetting these people to these conferences, burning all kinds of fuel. So they're not taking this seriously. You know, well, thank thank goodness because we actually are. It seems like we're CO two deficient compared to historical averages. But Kerry, I think you were just going to mention that our premier Danielle Smith is actually going to the uh, uh meeting, yep. and the interesting it's interesting why she's doing it. She's doing it because she doesn't trust the federal government to adequately represent Albertans' interests at that. Uh, at that meeting. So she's going to do it herself. She's actually uh, walking the walk. And I think that's pretty neat. Although I still think the entire thing is BS, but just the fact that she's going there because the federal government isn't going to acknowledge the things we're doing here is uh, pretty neat. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Now, an interesting thing that I noticed right away was the the conference of parties set up the world meteorological organization, the WMO. But notice the WMO's parent organization is not a science body. It's the UN Economic and Social Council. Hmm. So they put this scientific issue under the management of a social council. So that tells you something else, I believe. Hmm. Okay, so the next slide. So the WMO then became the IPCC that you hear about all the time. 
Uh, and the Wip Wikipedia, I disagree with about half of it by now, because yes, they all, know. you know, they have a, they have a left bent to it. But anyway, they're correct on this. I mean, people should pay close attention. The devil is in the details. This is correct. The IPCC is, I quote, a body of the UN responsible for advancing knowledge on human-induced climate change. Hmm. So I got no. Yeah. Well, please notice. The IPCC does not study all factors affecting Earth climate. They really don't care. They do not make scientific conclusions based on all the data. The TOR, the terms of reference, the terms of reference is to produce evidence of human-caused change. It's an a priori conclusion. First, they came to the conclusion, and then they instigated the body in order to prove their pre-concluded um, uh, goals. This was and that that explains why they would manipulate the modeling to achieve the results and the outcomes they want to they want to see because they're supposed to produce that. Absolutely. Yeah. So next slide. So I'm I'm looking to excuse my my comrades in the government um, in terms of reference. Um, they're supposed to produce evidence of a change of climate which is attributed directly or indirectly to human activity that alters the composition of the global atmosphere and which is in addition to natural climate variability observed over time periods. So the terms of reference when the IPCC does studies, the terms of reference is not to do real science, but it is to determine the human effects and maximize that as much as they can. That's their, those are their terms of reference. These scientists are, they've already been told what to do. Now, the, the problem is, is if you're going to look at what is an addition to natural climate variability, you have to know what the natural climate variability is, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to get into that fairly shortly. Um, the thing I just want to do in the next slide is point out something here. So anthropogenic, anthropogenic global warming scientists actually don't need facts to stay funded. So you wonder why there's so much faulty science out there, but it's because of principle 15 of agenda 21. And I quote, in order to protect the environment, the precautionary approach shall be widely applied by state according to their capabilities. Where there are threats of serious or irreversible damage, lack of full scientific certainty shall not be used as a reason for postponing cost-effective measures to prevent environmental degradation. Wow. So did you know that was in Agenda 21? No. Didn't know. Like, the scientists are actually told, you get funding if you're going to study anthropogenic global warming. And in, in fact, I mean, it's a, it's a long sentence, a couple of sentences here, but in effect, what they're saying is, you don't really need to be sure of the science. You really don't need solid facts because lack of full scientific certainty shall not be used as a reason to postpone mm -hmm. what we want to do. So they're told right up front, this, the bar is set very, very low in order for you to, to keep getting funded to do what we, what we tell you to do. So, you know, if people are out there saying, I'm not a scientist and these people are real scientists, I'm sorry, they already have an algae. Yeah. No, this is not the way to get real facts. 
Okay, so the next the next slide. Are you hearing things, Chris? Did I lock up? No, nope. uh, David, your sound went wonky. Yeah. It's, uh, has anything changed on your end? Nope. I'll try plugging in my, my headset here. Okay. I'll go to the next slide anyways. Okay. Try again, David. Can you hear me any better? Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So this next slide, I'm just uh, pointing out that there's a lot of money behind this. Um, if this is correct, I mean, I'm putting a question mark behind it because I've seen a report that uh, the David Suzuki Foundation is now worth something like $10.8 billion. It gets kind of shocking to me. Yeah. And, you know, China has been excused from having to cut back on their emissions because they're a developing nation. But at the time I put this slide together, um, my research showed that they're offering five, $55 billion worth of loans to Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, and Vanuatu. And China now has more attack submarines in the United States in their military. So I, I really don't see that they should be excused from playing the game because they're a developing nation. So that's not the way I would see it. Um, so the next slide. So, you know, going back in history, why would why would people doing this uh, uh, use the strategy that they are? And I I dug up this uh, this quote here about fear tactics. William Pitt famously said, "Necessity, which you know, like public health and the common good, is the plea of every infringement of human freedom. It's the argument of tyrants, and it is the creed of slaves. Get people afraid, and they will do whatever you want." A fearful society will always comply. Panicking people will believe anything. That is true. So, in my that. opinion, that's why we've gone from global warming to climate change to climate emergency. Because they're trying to ex escalate the level of fear, fear, fear. And, you know, in, in hopes that people will not look at the science, they'll just do what they're told to do. Hmm. Okay, so the next slide is one of the more interesting ones. And any politicians that are out there, I hope you look at this because, as I said, I am, I am waiting for the day when we start seeing politicians declare the emperor has no clothes. You know, and I use this saying, what if I gave you an investment advice and I told you to invest in uh, buggy whips? Uh, the next day I told you to invest in wooden wheels. And one... 102 times I told you what to invest in, I was 100% wrong. Would you keep listening to me for investment advice? Yeah. You know, these are, th this is the graph actually showing um, the run of the 102 models that we've been, we've been uh, browbeaten by. These are well-established computer models of the climate extremists. After, after over 100 models have told us we're not experiencing any of them. All the computer models are clearly wrong. And you can see a big deviation starting around 19, yeah. 1999, year 2000. Yeah. So, you know, what they predicted back then is not happening at all. You know, if very soon our elected politicians cannot use this fact 
use the actual facts, use the actual data and go to the people and say, you know what, because it was so serious, we went along with it. But obviously now the facts are proving that these people were just manipulating us. We have the facts in hand. We don't need proxy data anymore. This is actually how wrong all their predictions have been all along. Wow. Yeah. Now, having, so, now, having said that, I'm going to be just, I'm going to put my orange hat on for a minute, if you know what that means. Yep. Um, yep. We've got, basically, that graph is kind of doing this sort of thing, and then it's slowly going up in 2015. Do we have any other data after 2015? Yeah, we do. And I'm sorry, just that this, this is, uh, this is, you know, the one that I grabbed. Yeah. Uh, it's actually, it's actually uh, cooler. We, we went into a, a very strong cooling phase in 2015. Yeah. So but, I'm trying to show the worst. I'm trying to show like the, the you know, the, the graph that they have going past 2020 is extremely steep yeah. incline. And yeah. the fact is, it, we've pretty much flattened out. Like if you can see, there's a thin blue line going yeah. past that. That's actually where we are now. It's pretty much flattened out. Yeah. But you have to also keep in mind that the, the, um, the graph is in point two of a degree increment oh i know so exactly it's one it's, degree difference yeah. over a period well, of uh exactly five years yeah. at the worst case and it wasn't yeah. that it was it looks like it landed around point four or point three yeah. something some yeah, of the yeah. some of the data that i've read and and to just to do with that point two and point four and blah 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 some of the data that I've read is that the let's let's just go back say a hundred years ago in New York City, which was not New York City the way it is right now. They would have set up a couple of thermometers, you know, maybe not as uh, as robust and as fine tuned as they would be now. Sure enough, jump ahead a hundred years. Now we've got uh, we're able to measure finite amounts in temperature uh, change, but we also have something that's called um, city city heat or it's something to that effect anyways where it's just it's asphalt they've gotten rid of trees everything's just going to warm up anyways in terms of an asphalt jungle and these are the same temperature locations that they're measuring so yeah. again i question whether or not it really has gone up by 0.4 degrees based upon where uh, how the, how the city is laid out now or where that thermometer essentially was 100 years ago yeah, I'm, I'm just going to read one line from a, uh, a website everybody should go to, and I want to leave some references on our website at some point in time. Yeah. It's a Norwegian scientist called, organization is called Climate for You. So it's the word climate, the number four, and the word you all together, climate for you. And he does, uh, every couple of months, he does like 150 pages of all of the worldwide data for people to track. But he begins his whole hundred and some pages with a summary every time. And uh, as far as um, uh, where we are right now, I'll just read you this. Uh, observed average global temperature change in the last 40 years is about 0.17 degrees centigrade per decade. Hmm. If unchanged, additional average global temperatures increased by the year 2100 will be 1.3 centigrade. That's it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, all the numbers you go to, it's it's actually in line with the interglacial period. It's a slow, gradual change with every now and again, like 1934 was a very hot year. Every now and again, you get a little bit of a blip. And every now and again, you get a bit of a dip. But it's going very natural, very 
predictable almost. Hmm. Yeah. So I'll just show you the hockey stick. The next slide. And this yeah. is just if if, if is. people if people out there keep hearing about the hockey stick, this is the hockey stick here. Yeah. You know, and this is a very well written scandal prone graph what you're seeing here lawsuits have been launched won and lost over this uh graph it's very fascinating i mean there's a there's actually a name for it. it's called climate gate where people in the in interior of these agencies got caught in email saying we have to hide the warm period hide the mini ice age that we had and this graph has been disputed heavily but anyway, the IPC grabbed a hold of it because it gave them the results that they wanted. So mm -hmm. this is the famous hockey stick here. Yeah. And the next slide. Exactly <laughs> what you guys exactly what you guys said. You're seeing something that's only like one and a half degree in total. I'm just pointing out here. Let's let's look at you know the last four uh, big changes in history. If you take any tiny little part of a graph, you know, like this graph here goes ten degrees up or down but if you just focus in on one degree yeah and then only look at a short period you can you can make a graph say whatever you want you know if you just snap a little bit of it wherever you want to grab it mm -hmm. um so the next one is actually answering your questions on what's happened since 2015 yeah okay so this is <clears throat> according to the university of alabama huntsville which is known to be probably the world's leading authority on data like this and according to nasa and according to noaa and the ECC, essc global temperature report um we've been cooling since 2015 so this is 2016 to 2022 oh yeah that's right yeah wow yeah now the other interesting thing if you see the temperature it's decline is declining like i see it goes from 0.3 down to 0.2 on average of a degree yeah. As the carbon dioxide has increased, the temperature has decreased. Mm -hmm. That's the interesting part of this graph is the earth is like the carbon dioxide level are normalizing from where it normally is. It's been at a very low period of time. So the carbon dioxide has been normalizing. But even as the carbon dioxide level goes up, the temperature is actually going down. But do so, the 97 percent of scientists know that? I'm going to get into that in the next couple slides. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. We can we can miss this one. I already talked about it. Okay. Um, I'm just this this the next slide here. Stations added, deleted, and moved. <clears throat> just so people understand that uh, you know. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that's kind of what I was talking about. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, Keep, keep in mind here, nobody really knows what the average temperatures are. We have a system where they placed temperature stations here and there. And keep in mind, 70% of the earth is water, so there's no permanent stations floating in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Most of what land is, is deserts uninhabitable and mountains which are inaccessible. So these, these locations where the temperature data comes from I, I actually excuse some scientists because they're going by data from, from stations that collect temperatures and they don't really research whether that's good data or not. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Tim Ball, actually, I, I respect, you know, God rest his soul. He passed away recently, but uh, his conclusion as a PhD 
head of geography at the University of Manitoba, his, his opinion of the temperature stations that people are using is that temperature data for the pre-satellite era have been so widely and systematically unidirectionally tampered with that it cannot be credibly asserted that there has been any significant global warming in the 20th century. So I'm just a technologist. He was a PhD in geography. Yeah. Um. Okay. So the next slide. Uh, I can just go to the next paragraph. 90% of the stations, according to uh, this organization called What's Up, Anthony Watts has, has created a citizen organization where they check on weather stations and they compare the specifications on how to locate a weather station and how to accumulate data. 90% of the stations do not comply with the standards required to make the data from land stations useful. Next slide. Here's an example. Can you see that little white wall at the beginning and then there's that little robot head sticking up in the top? Yeah. Okay, that is a temperature station that's generating false data. It's supposed, there. well, yeah, I mean, it's in, a, it's in a white, against a white building with the sun reflecting off the white wall and it's, right. it's out of the wind. So yeah, it, it breaks all of the rules about collecting uh, data. Next one. This one's even worse, but this is representative. So you can see a little robot head sticking up. That's in the middle of what they call an urban heat island. That's the term. That's right. Yep. yep. Now, yep. when that when that was first located there, there was no city. So, of course, it shows that before there was a city there, the temperature was quite cool. And as they built this whole uh, building up and roadways and whatever else is there, of course, you, you know, it's going to generate reflect reflection. Now, mm -hmm. the other thing I'll show you is that little box to the bottom to the right. Yep. That's a commercial air conditioner blowing heat at the temperature wow. sensor. Wow. So that's where people, you know, good, true, honest scientists are handed a, bu a book of data and said, now, what would you conclude from this without knowing that that's the kind of faulty data that they're getting to uh, work with. So next slide. So this just tells you what the challenge is to find what the temperature really is. There's no temperature stations reporting from 85% of the earth. Mm -hmm. You know, 70% of the earth is oceans, 80% unexplored, 20% too mountainous for stations, 19 is desert with no stations. And the satellite data is really good, but climate alarmists won't use it because it doesn't uh, comply with their uh, wow. observations. Yeah. Okay, so the next slide. And I'm really going to have to ha yeah. figure out how I'm going to condense this. There is no 90%, there is no 97% consensus. I'm sorry to say that. There isn't. Um, originally, I mean, yes, Al Gore, Barack Obama, I've said it publicly many times that there's, you know, agreement. People quote that all the time. <clears throat> Let's go to the next slide. People have studied this. There's actually a history about this fraudulent statement. Um, you can read a book from Naomi Oreskes. She started uh, this whole movement. Um, she got 928 articles. She reviewed them. She said, in her opinion, 75% of them said that people were making the world warm. 
other critics looked at her work and said, I'm sorry, you did a very bad job. Uh, most of the people that you read the articles, they didn't do any research. So anyway, based on the fact that she read 928 bad articles and she thought 75% of them kind of said we were warming up the earth, Al Gore said that 100% of scientific articles written in 10 years agreed with what he was saying. It, wow. it's, a complete, it's, a, it's a complete swing and a miss. Unreal. I know. Next slide. So then there was a sort of a progression of these studies to try to find out. And here's a famous one. In 2009, two researchers in the University of Illinois, they actually, you know, but it sounded good. They said, oh, we're going to ask 10,000 scientists these two questions. One, do you agree that temperatures have generally risen since 1880? Number two, do you think human activity is a significant contributing factor? Well, because number one, everybody knows that we're recovering in an interglacial period. Everybody would say yes to question one. Mm -hmm. And number two, you know, here just in the last hour, we've talked about heat islands, urban heat islands. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we know that we've done things here and there to cause some warming. So there you go. But they didn't define significant. Like, yeah. yes, are humans significantly to, to blame? Well, they never defined the word significant. Okay, so this is a study of 10,000. Okay, so the next page shows the results of it. <clears throat> so out of 10,000, only 3,146 even bothered to respond. Mm -hmm. So I would take that to be the most you're going to get as far as consensus would be, what, a third? Yeah. Right? So the most consensus, I mean, honestly, I would if I got that result, I would say 7,000 didn't care. You know, so at, at most, 30% of scientists say yes. But she, what they did is these two guys went digging digging in, in what came back, and they realized that, well, yeah, 90% of people said yes to question one. Of course, the, the Earth is warming naturally anyway, so everybody said yes to that. So 82% said yes to number, to number two. You know, are people in any way responsible? So they got 82% of that. So I know to me, I would say that was inconclusive. Yeah. But anyway, somebody said, you did a bad job asking these questions. So a, a recommendation was made. Why don't you go back in these 10,000 responses that you got and pick out how many of these 10,000 scientists are actually experts on climate and just look at those. So mm -hmm. of the 10,000 of the 10,000 that they requested, only 77 of them said they were climate experts. Huh. Now, of the 77, 75 said yes to question two. Wow, yeah. <clears throat> That's how you get 97% consensus. Because 75 people out, out of 1,000. 10,000, yeah. 10,000, sorry, 75 out of 10,000 kind of kind of indicated that people are responsible for warming, even though they didn't say to what degree. So I think the actual number of that 10,000 is not 97%. It's just under 1%. Yeah. Okay. So again, I'll, you know, the next slide, uh, John Cook, he did the same thing, you know, 34, he's, he sent the same thing out. He got 34% responded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, 
two-thirds of them were peer-reviewed, 33% endorsed the theory. Somehow, because 33% of, of, of the two-thirds were peer-reviewed, they did the math, and 33% of 34%, somehow somebody got the number that meant 97% sure that, you know, that their assumptions were correct. <clears throat> like, you tell me if you can get 97% consensus out of John Cook's study. I, I can't see it in any, no, I can't put those numbers together. Yeah. Um, you know, in fact, 64% only, sorry, 64 individuals out of 12,000 responses stated that global warming is clearly human caused. That's under 1%. So when you tell people 97%, you can be very confident and say, I'm sorry, I have to correct you. It's less than 1%. Mm -hmm. So next page. That's a great talking point too, to, to say that <laughs> to people. Well, I mean, you can buy the books. You can do the research, you know, same here. Yeah. Um, just at the bottom here, um, there's a guy, Richard Toll, did scientific, he does a, a search of scientific statements. Um, Meteorology. Meteorological agencies have surveyed members. Um, this guy named Jose Duarte actually dug into who was making the responses back, calling themselves climate scientists. And like, I'm being honest with you guys, I'm just a technologist. Yeah. But okay, I took a meteorological course, and I mean, I've been out in the field. These people that responded, he found primarily were scientists, but they were psychologists, pollsters philosophers and political scientists yeah. these are the scientists that they talk about you know that they they, they requested consensus of, from okay so the next slide <clears throat> um you know we've heard that there are no scientists opposing the view and the ones that are are just deniers and they're crackpots so next slide there was a declaration a little while ago that's and right. this is the sign. This is the signed petition. Yeah. Okay. So independently, pe people, uh, scientists were requested to to sign up, like not just respond, but to sign a petition, saying that they are against all of the actions that we're taking here, harming our economies in the in the absence of good scientific information. Thirty one thousand scientists signed this very clear statement. Mm -hmm. I think they called it the Oregon Oregon uh, statement, the Oregon petition. Now, since then, another organization called Clintel, and I'm I'm very impressed that when I did this presentation, there were 1,000 scientists signed up to Clintel. Uh, now there's, you know, as of last month, there were over 1,600 scientists, and Clintel goes to all of the UN meetings. They go to you know any any public. Uh, governance uh, meeting that they can, and they present information. These are high-level uh, climatologists, uh, earth scientists, and they've made similar statements to this, and they're extremely active, and they seem to be having some results, uh, except we're not hearing about it, and that's that's the problem. Yeah. But you guys look up Clintel. It's an amazing organization with some very, very well-respected scientists. And uh, next next slide. How's our time going? Because this next uh, section here is about CO two. How many and how many slides are there left, or how much longer do you think? Uh, yeah, maybe another fifteen minutes. 
Okay, just be there. Questions come up, so another fifteen minutes of this, and then we'll uh, probably talk and take another uh, series of questions. Well, okay. we'll be done probably at the top of the hour. So just so okay. people. Yeah, yeah, I only okay. have another twenty-five minutes. So okay, that's twenty-five. Good. Okay, the next couple of slides are very interesting. Then, okay. <clears throat> so the, I mean, we have to go back and actually say, is CO two actually, you know, the uh, the driving force behind any warming whatsoever? Like the molecule of CO two, can it do what they're actually saying it does? Um, like Al Gore's book, Inconvenient Truth. He starts off, and it's funny, I heard, a, I heard a credible scientist say he bought the book, he opened it up, he read the first line, and threw the book in the garbage. Because he, the book kind of starts off by saying, if you exclude water vapor and clouds, CO2 is the main force for changing temperature. Well, if you exclude wow. the main factors, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> so of, the, of the, what would cause the, the greenhouse effect, 90 to 95% of what would be causing the greenhouse effect would be water vapors, not carbon dioxide. Hmm. So when was the last time you heard somebody do a study of water vapor in the sky? Like if it's 90 to 95% responsible, shouldn't people be telling us not to do things that put moisture into the atmosphere? Yeah. Like fly airplanes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So, you know, moving away from that, let's just say it is CO2. Yeah. You got to keep in mind that humans only produce between three and five percent of it. 90, 95 to 97 percent of all CO2 in the air comes from the earth, whether we're here or not. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Next slide. That's just an illustration. You know, you've got your, you've got your big box there, which is showing you the scope of all greenhouse gases. So, you know, of that big box there, 90% of the effect comes from water vapor. CO2 is that little box to the right. Yeah. So you've got that little box to the right. That's the effect of CO2. And then you go only 5% is man-made. So that little teeny tiny box at the bottom on the right, that's all we have to work with. So this should be the slide that everyone screen captures right now. <laughs> you show, yes. it to your, you show it to your family, have this conversation with your coworkers. Yeah, this is exactly yeah. like the first, the first time I saw this, my friend um, gave me a really good illustration. He says, so you've got this, you got this big room and uh, you know, the heaters turned up and the guy's using a blowtorch and they're generating all kinds of heat and they light a fire and they're roasting hot dogs. And the room's getting really hot. Well, in the back corner, somebody lit a cigarette with a Bic lighter. And everybody runs over there and says, you got to not light your cigarette with a Bic lighter because you're warming up this room too much. Yeah. You know, like there's nothing you can do in that teeny tiny little box on the bottom right. You're right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> there's not much really that that has an effect. I mean, you got to have some common sense here. Yeah. Okay. So the next slide. So if it's not... Carbon dioxide, obviously, you know, everybody knows that the sun is what warms the earth and we've got some chemical reaction and we've got, you know, heat in the earth's core. But, you know, it's it's 99 percent from the sun. It's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And you can see the sun cycles. You can plot the sun cycle, solar cycles against the ice ages. And I mean, it's not really rocket science to figure out <laughs> what really is rocket science. <laughs> Sometimes I use the joke like you don't have to be 
a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist to figure this out. But yeah. then I remember I don't need to be a, my daughter is a brain surgeon. Oh and yeah. I have, I have some friends that are rocket scientists. So, <laughs> you know, either way I can find an answer if I need to. <laughs> okay. The next one is an interesting slide. I just, uh, haven't heard an awful lot about this, but here's my own personal observation as having worked for the fisheries department. You know, yeah. it's a simple fact that the Earth's core is something like a thousand degrees centigrade if you mm -hmm. go down, uh, what, uh, 10 kilometers. Okay. But the bottom of the ocean is 11 kilometers. So while we're worried about a little bit of puff of a CO2 in the air, don't forget that we're like, we're like a pot on the stove with a heat lamp on top, but there's a fire underneath us, Yeah, you know, and every time a volcano or an earthquake happens, this temperature down 11, 12 kilometers is actually escaping to the surface. Like earth, we're floating on a, on a melted mantle. There's mm -hmm. an awful lot of heat underneath of us. So like I say, you need to know. What the act, what the natural sources of heat are before you can say all the additional is what's causing the problem. If you don't know the baseline causes of heat, you can't blame it on, you know, auxiliary or external sources. You can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the next slide. Just as a, just as a reminder, the, the mantle is three thousand seven hundred degrees centigrade, and it's one thousand degrees centigrade near the crust. So you need to be aware of these factors if you're trying to blame me for driving my pickup truck for warming up the air. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. So next slide. This is actually the research I did when I was doing my research in Ontario. Um, it, you know, it's a simple fact that as the earth warms, then the oceans lose their capacity to hold on to carbon dioxide. And that's what's causing extra carbon dioxide in the air. You know, we're coming out of an ice age. The, the oceans are warming because we're coming out of an ice age, because of our solar cycles. And as the water warms, it loses its capacity to hold on to dissolved CO2. So as the oceans have warmed, CO2 has escaped into the atmosphere. Hmm. So that's why the CO2 has actually gone up. That's an interesting uh, step. No. Yeah, it is. It's, it's good to know. And it'll go the other way. I mean... Hopefully, as we go into the cooling period, you know, the, the oceans are massive for a heat sink, so it'll take a while for them to cool down. But as they do, they will start absorbing carbon dioxide, and that's just the way nature works. Mm -hmm. Okay, next slide. <clears throat> and the next slide. Okay, so this is something really good to, to put in this presentation. Um, there's an allegation made that the Vostok ice cores have shown that there's a correlation between CO2 in the air and temperature. And uh, like, as I put it, I really don't care because I know that as the earth warms, CO2 will escape. So there absolutely is a correlation. But what most people don't understand is first, there has to be warming. Then the oceans have to warm up. Then the carbon dioxide is released. So yes, you can dig up ice cores and you can relate high carbon dioxide to warm temperatures but there's an 800 degree lag between when the earth warms up and then the co2 gets released into the atmosphere it's not and the eight, other way around you said 800 degree 800 day or 800 800, 800 years 
Years, yeah. yeah. Years. So I made the joke. Okay, I saw. I said I had one joke. Actually, I have two. Um, <laughs> it must have been the aliens who suggested that Earth's basic element, carbon, like we're all made out of carbon. The Earth is made out of carbon. Who in their wildest imagination would have ever believed that we would be calling the very stuff that our world is made out of a pollutant? Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. Nobody could be that stupid. But, I mean, aliens must – they must have done it as a joke because we can't be that silly. And the fact is that first the, first the Earth warms up and then it releases carbon dioxide. So they are related, but cause – you know, correlation is not causation. Next slide. Self-explanatory. <laughs> I think I think it was a big joke by a bunch of aliens. I really do. Being <laughs> being generous. <laughs> okay. So the next slide. Just so people, you know, they're afraid of all this, uh, you know, high levels of carbon dioxide. Um, yeah. We're at four hundred approximately right now. Um, just so you know, if you're going to be in a submarine or in the International Space Station. The limit that they tolerate as dangerous is 5,000 parts per million. Um, the other thing to know about carbon dioxide is at 400 parts per million, um, the atmosphere is what they call saturated. So after 400, it really doesn't have any more effect warming the earth. It really, it honestly doesn't matter. Um, William Happer has an excellent explanation for it. And he's the world leading expert on CO2, in my opinion. He says, you know, once you hit 400, it's like a farmer painting his barn red. You know, he's painted it red. You, you look at it, it's red. Okay. He says, but I'm going to give it a second coat of paint. Well, you put a second coat of paint on it, maybe yeah. gets a little more red. Yeah. Okay. You put two or three more coats on, it's not going to get any redder. I mean, it's red. Carbon dioxide is the same way. Up until about 400, every time you add a little more carbon dioxide, it does reflect a little bit of heat back to Earth. It's not the main thing. Water vapor and clouds do that. But, yeah, it adds a little bit. But once you're at 400, you know, it, like another way of saying it, it's like the vapor barrier in your house. If you put a really good approved, you know, vapor barrier in your house, you've contained it. If you put a second and a third layer of vapor barrier in your house, are you really a comp? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't do anything more. I mean, you're not you're not going to get any better uh, vapor barrier by putting three layers of plastic, you know, you know, compared to one. Right. Um, carbon dioxide. Once you hit 400, the effect after that is almost negligible. Just so people understand that. Now, if you look at water vapor, if if you put one percent more water vapor in the air, that will produce more of a greenhouse effect than all of the CO2 that's in the atmosphere. Wow. Exactly. So that's, why, that's why, yeah. Yeah, why aren't scientists mm -hmm. telling us daily what our level of water vapor is around the world? You know, I, I heard this year a huge volcano blew off, and there's mixed statements about how much does a volcano contribute to global warming. But the fact is this volcano put massive amounts of water vapor in the air, well, we should have heard about that because a 1% increase in water vapor yeah. does more to warm the earth than all of the CO2 that's, that's in the atmosphere. So why yeah. are we hearing about that? Yeah. You know, number one, because you can't shut down the oil field in Alberta by saying a volcano blew off in Central America somewhere. That is true. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the next slide. Yeah, I mean, we know about water vapor. Every time that the airplanes change their flight paths, the temperature below the air path actually changes. Next slide. So here are the flight paths around the globe. If they were serious about wanting to cool the earth down, uh, they would stop flying airplanes. Because mm -hmm. all these flight paths are generating water vapor. Yeah. Now, and as I said, if 1% change in water vapor is, is a greater effect to global warming than all of the CO2 combined, yeah. the first thing you would do is stop all of these water vapor being ejected into the upper atmosphere. But nobody's even talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They are uh, next talking slide. about it. <laughs> they are talking about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if there was 1,500 private jets at the COP last time, this year I'm sure there'll be more, and they're putting out water vapor like crazy. Yeah, that's true. Okay, the next slide. <clears throat> CO2 is not a pollutant. It's a plant food. Um, just so you know, most plants do well at 1,000 parts per million. Um, since the... Uh, CO2 content has changed from 180 at where we were at Earth's low point up to 400. The Earth is greened by 15%. Mm. Uh, agricultural crops have increased 15%. And, uh, you know, 90% 90, 90 plus of plants on the face of the Earth are what they call C3 plants. And they really, really want 1,000 parts per million, which from what I have seen, that's kind of the average of a healthy Earth between glacial periods is a thousand parts per million. So personally, wow. I would like to see a thousand parts per million. Um, that's when the forests start to grow where there is a desert. Yeah. Um, desertification happens when plants open their pores too much to try to suck in carbon dioxide when they're starving for carbon dioxide. And when they open the stomata, which is the pore to increase intake carbon dioxide, water vapor escapes from the plant and then it dies because it's dried out. Wow. So the more I, carbon dioxide... No. Sorry? I did not know that. Yeah, that's, that's why this happens. But yeah. since, since we've gone from 180 to 400, the deserts of the earth have shrunk 15%, and the forests have increased 15%. And we just went from 180 to 400. Mm -hmm. So if the plants can get what they want, which is about 1,000, you know, historically, there, there are like evidence of forests where there's like Sahara desert. Um, you know, they were there when there was a thousand parts per million mm -hmm. right now, the plants are starving for carbon dioxide because this is abnormally low carbon dioxide. So when they open the pores to try to get enough carbon dioxide, they lose all their moisture and they, they lose what they call drought resistance. Mm -hmm. So there's another point about carbon dioxide, our friend. So next slide. And I think I'm going to wrap this up. Okay. You know, um, if somebody wants to refer back to a, a, a book wiser than other books that I read, Daniel says, God determines the seasons and the course of world events. And my favorite scripture verse on this whole topic is Isaiah 40, 15, which says the nations are like a drop from the bucket. They're like the dust on the scales. Mm -hmm. And that matches that graphic I showed you of mankind potentially having only three to five percent effect yeah. on what happens on earth and that's pretty much you know that's pretty much yeah. the end of it yeah so that's that's it and we're done that's it that's awesome that's it yeah
Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that, uh, that, that amazing presentation. Lots of comments. Uh, thanking you, Dave. Uh, actually, I'm just going to pop a couple in here. Um, and, and actually, uh, we have Derek asked, is it possible to download this presentation? Very impressive work, David. I would love to show this to some folks that are completely gone on the subject. So before you answer that, I'm just going to say that this, all of our webinars are recorded. Uh, they're, they're basically kind of archived on the Facebook pages and stuff. I also take the, um, the raw file, if you want to call it, and I trim the ends. And then especially like in this sort of a situation where we had troubles with, uh, with David's uh, calling in on his phone and, and, and his laptop, I'll edit that part out. And then we end up posting that tomorrow. So if you, if you do want to get this in its entirety, then great. You can, you can do it. Otherwise, if you want to wait a little bit, it will get a, a smaller chunk of this. I may not, I may actually even edit this part out. <laughs> so you don't hear me <laughs> ramble on about that too. So. Um, is it possible to share that uh, PowerPoint presentation or is that part of, again, it's it, totally respectful for you. You did the research on it. So, we, you know, you, you, I, you, I am a hundred percent. The only thing like going into this, I called, yeah. uh, I called Tim Ball's residence when he was ill, unfortunately, you know, mm -hmm. and um, I got permission to use his information. Okay. And then okay. I, I, I got graphs from John Robson from the climate discussion nexus. And okay. he said, it's okay to use those graphs as long as you credit climate discussion nexus oh, yeah. for the data. Yeah. Okay. So that's that the only sense. reason I wouldn't just let it go is because I don't have a little identifier at the bottom of some of those graphs crediting his, his association. That's but right. if you, if you take it as my presentation and then like I've mm -hmm. asked before, if we could put a link, I would like to link people to climate for you, climate discussion yeah. nexus. Yes, what's up absolutely. with that? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and keep in mind, my presentation pales in, in comparison to what you would get from Tim Ball or from mm -hmm. Dr. William Happer. I mean, these gentlemen do a much better job than I do, and they're PhDs. So awesome. I'm happy to share anything I have as long as people look for the source and they credit properly with yep. the, the people that this information came from. Great presentation from Greg. Uh, Dennis, great presentation. Dave, uh, there's quite a few of them on here. So... People are appreciative of your work. Thank you. Oh, it's good. That's good. Now, if only we could get this out on a broader, uh, broader range across the province. That that's right, and uh, and maybe even get some uh, some politicians to watch and listen. Maybe if we share it. Maybe if we share, share, share. <laughs> you got to share, share, share. I've been I've been posting that all the way through. <laughs> um, just a couple of quick quick questions that uh, that people had said and. Sure. Uh, Let's see. Um, here's one. Dennis asks, if, a, if large corporations had made a stronger stance against the governments that are in lockstep with the UN IPCC regarding climate change, would we have the term net zero today? Like, well, would, would it be an agenda to say, hey, this is a great idea. We can actually make some money off of this. Hmm. What do you think about that? Well, uh, here's here was my proposal, knowing knowing what I know now. Excuse me, I got to find a, a cord to plug in my phone because we switched to my phone and my battery is dying on me. So, um, I was telling people what what farmers should do, agricultural providers and farmers, and even some logging companies, is we should actually, instead of having a carbon tax, we should actually offer climate 
cr carbon credits. So anybody that generates a whole lot of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere should get paid for it. Yeah. We should be paying people to generate carbon dioxide around crops. Like, you know, if you go to a, a field where you're growing a crop and you measure the carbon dioxide level during the daytime and during the night, yeah, you're not going to get 400 hardly ever. Um, you're going to get like 1500 and then you're going to yeah. get like 50. Yeah. So the plants absorb quite readily. Um, I really think that we should be looking at carbon dioxide as a plant food. Mm -hmm. You know, like greenhouseman, when I, when I was making um, methane out of cow manure and catching the carbon dioxide, I realized the business case was carbon dioxide in the tank was the same price as propane. And people in a greenhouse were buying carbon dioxide in the tank to feed their plants. You know what they do now, especially in uh, micro growing scenarios where you're growing things for medicinal use, there's actually mm. mushrooms, a fungus that you put in your room and overnight it releases uh, carbon dioxide. Yeah. Pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think, I think we kind of, we let it get away on us. This is our problem. We let it get away on us. And uh, yeah, we, uh, we maybe should have had more corporations speaking louder, but you know, sorry, my doesn't seem like my charger is working here. I, I mean, I get it. You know, people like me kept kept our mouth shut for quite a while. As we all did. Yeah. <sighs> and, and I, you know, I honestly tell you, I made a, like, a, it was a heart, a heartfelt decision to actually start speaking out because I love the, I love the nature, you know, natural earth and just the risk of, of giving advice to people that would harm nature it actually bothers me. So mm -hmm. I had to be 110% sure of what I'm saying before I took the step to actually start speaking out publicly. Yeah. And I think everybody is like that. So a lot of people, they're so scared by the extremists. And like, if you go through all of the political science behind it and you look at all the science and you make the comparison to water vapor, it still takes a little bit of time for you to say, okay, I'm actually now going to make a stand. You know, it it just be a lot easier for corporations if they would do the study that I, at least of what I did and yeah. say, look, we're just not going to go along with this. But politicians, I think now, you know, they're a lot more able to point to all the predictions that were made and say, honestly, I'm sorry that I went along with it. Like I'm apologizing because I did go along with it really just by keeping silent for quite a few years, yeah. but politicians could do the same thing. You know, they were given so many directives, so much false information, so many computer predictions that they were overwhelmed by it. But now it's the overwhelming, the truth, the overwhelming false predictions. Yeah. They, they should be able to go to people and say, you know, we have a couple of apologies to make. Number one, we didn't keep up with the science. We just believed what we were told. But now we're looking at the fact the emperor has no clothes. I mean, mm -hmm. we're now faced with the fact that none of these predictions are coming to pass. It yeah. looks like there's nothing in the predictions going forward that's true at all. So we have to take a stand. Yeah. You know, I would forgive a politician if, if they came out honest and say, like, I honestly believed 
that there was a potential problem and it was a huge problem. I honestly believe that. But I would respect a politician who said, now that all the predictions have proven false, now that all the computer models have proven to be useless, now that I understand the data is so faulty, now that I've read what Clintel has to say in the Oregon Declaration and all these eminent scientists, really qualified people, not psychologists and political scientists, now I have to tell you the truth that I was wrong. Like I would forgive an elected politician for being honest and saying that right about now. Well, I'm pretty sure we won't uh, expect Trudeau to say that he's wrong because he's making (laughs) making some money off of this. I'm pretty sure. He'll say, even when I'm wrong, I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Black is right. Yeah. Freedom of slavery. That's a 1984 altogether. Right. Dale says, I think carbon credits are a great idea. So watch what you are. Be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Because it's possible. That and I totally understand what we're talking about. Like in a, in a great utopian world, I guess we would say, "Look at our boreal forest. We've got all these trees that are sucking uh, sucking oxygen or uh, yeah, sucking uh, CO two and giving out oxygen for us. We are now carbon less than neutral. Like we're we're more oxygen than uh, than we need." But it's the big, the big countries like China and India that are, seem to be the the problem. And it, I've actually, when I was running for the uh, the MLA position in uh, Chestermere and Strathmore, I went into a school and we actually had this conversation with students, and they did have a very good argument against it. Again, I don't think it was their argument. I think it was the argument that the teachers probably instilled on them, is that if it wasn't for North America asking for so many products from China and India, they probably wouldn't be blowing blowing all the smoke into the atmosphere and and creating more sulfur and then creating more co2 etc etc so i would kind of argue against that but uh for the most part it it is but if but really if we people at 70 percent, we wouldn't have to get it made in china because we could afford to pay people to manufacture see there you that's the cyclical uh, argument to that i like that yeah we could have no but i but I think if, if, I mean, farmers should be the first one to jump on the bandwagon and say, look, we, we've seen what's going on. We're sorry we went along with it. Maybe we kept our mouth shut. But, you know, these industries that are putting carbon dioxide in the air have greened my crops by 15 yeah. um, percent. I, I think these people that do this should get some sort of a credit. Yeah. No, I like yeah, that. Thank you. Thank you for the free plant food. <laughs> I think the credit really, we should get is... Uh, um, a huge reduction on our energy bills because the more energy we consume, the more productive we are, the more carbon dioxide we expel, and the more food we have for plants and the more the uh-huh. planet greens. Yeah. So all we have to do really is utilize the cheap abundant energy we have here in this province and we can save the world. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not even being sarcastic with that. I'm that's. I'm wow. Really you're ne- never not sarcastic. That's a double negative. To that. That's <laughs> not true. Gary. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, as an environmentalist, I have to point out one other downside of this problem is before this climate scare and and demonizing of what we're made out of carbon, um, we actually used to talk about real pollution. Yes, you're right. Yes, we did. Although I think that I was going to say, I think for the most part, like any industry uh, pollution, 
they've, you know, we, at least in Alberta, for sure, we're, we're great stewards of our land and our uh, resources. And, you know, there, there's ways to, to cut down on, on sulfur emissions and, and all that. And I think the industry has really done a great job, maybe, maybe almost around the world, I guess. Um, you, you might want to argue a little bit about that, but I think, I think that's kind of what we need to do is just be better, better stewards uh, anyways. And, mm -hmm. and, if it's, and if it's just a matter of, of, you know, you don't need a tax to be a better steward. I think most people would be able to say, okay, although back in the seventies, I think they were putting raw sewage into the, into the rivers, but Victoria still does that. Still does that. I actually, yeah. having said that, I think Winnipeg right still into the ocean. That. Yeah. I'm not going to say well, that for sure. I don't know. I mean, I can, I can open up another can of worms here, but there's certain things that are happening now. Um, and I, I won't say the full name of a guy whose initials are BG, but there are a lot of um, efforts being made to uh, seed clouds, to uh, do chemtrails for the purpose of cooling the earth down, and, and they're using chemicals that are not healthy for us. So there's experimentation going on. Me, I'd love to see the evidence for that. Well, I've done I've done a lot of research on geoengineering, and, you know, it's a big topic, but it, it is, is pollution. Yeah. yeah. Now, what my concern is the the sampling size, the particle size that they're sampling for, is set at the wrong point, so that the material that's being put in the clouds, the particle size is too small to be caught by the filters, so they can actually be caught doing it. And this is what mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Like we're so focused on carbon dioxide that we're not really focused on real pollution. In Saskatoon, years ago. Before I could sell my house, I had to take a water sample because all the pipes for residences were made out of lead. So Canada had a safe lead limit. You remember that? that? Yeah. yeah. So you 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 had in Canada you had a limit of what was called a safe you know lead dissolved content in water. Now, mm -hmm. interestingly, in Russia, it's half of what Canada's is. So somehow the scientists in Russia are aware of a certain limit you know, which would be considered a pollutant, whereas in Canada, we weren't up on it, and you could have more lead in the water and still not be called a hazard. And to me, I think that's where trained scientists can intervene and say, you know what, it's okay to have so much cadmium, it's okay to have so much, uh, you know, heavy metals and whatever. That's real pollution, and people need real answers. But they're all distracted on carbon dioxide now. It just seems to me all of these very interesting, you know, not just experiments, but um, studies are being put off. They're, be, they're being sidelined. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all these battery factories, all this mining that's going on, you know, trying to harvest the lithium and, and cobalt, yeah. catalytic converters and whatever. Like, we really don't have an answer about how much that could be polluting our earth, yeah. you know, in the name of getting rid of carbon dioxide. Like, that needs to be really studied and studied diligently but all the resources are going to the stupid uh, demonizing of the material that we're made out of. Yeah. 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 The at all costs is proving to be way too costly. That's right. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to try and wrap us up in the next four minutes. Um, again, thank you okay. so much for, for your presentation, David. I know Chris always likes to get the last word in. Do you have anything to maybe wrap this in the nice APP shell that we like to do? Well, I suppose I could try. 
Um, I'm, you know, I'm not sure how an independent Alberta could stand up against a climate scam that's reducing our prosperity and stealing the futures of our children and grandchildren. I mean, mm -hmm. I, honestly, I just, I can't, I can't, couldn't possibly connect the dots on how we could do that if we could chart our own course forward, um, not under the thumb of a tyrannical uh, federal minister of health and his cronies that use all of these climate scam lies in order to take away our futures. Um, actually, you know what? I think we could. I think we can. If we create a sovereign Alberta where we get to make our own choices in these matters by using real world evidence and yeah. not some, uh, you know, fake cherry picked stuff from an organization whose mandate is to actually find that evidence. Mm -hmm. I think we can really change things. And yeah. that's just one of many things that we could do in an independent Alberta or an Alberta that was sovereign in, 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 in that we could chart our own course forward. Um, these webinars, we always identify and speak about different problems uh, that, you know, they, they have different solutions. But the one thing we should always focus on, and I would maybe even argue that we should uh, look, we should strive for at all costs, is that we are prosperous and we flourish as a species. Mm -hmm. And in the face of uh, organizations that would take that away from us and not allow us to use our democratic voices to change that path, we should never be subject to that kind of thing. Yeah. Hence the Alberta Prosperity Project. So, folks, if you like what you yep. saw tonight and you want to support, please, uh, number one, get a membership in the Alberta Prosperity Project. I'll say this. I've said this before. I'll say it again. It's not that we want your $20 membership fee or whatever it is you're going to spend. We need it. We actually need money, believe it or not, to exist in the world and do things and get this message out there and be the educational vehicle that um, that works towards bringing prosperity back to this province. We need that. We also need you to be counted as a Albertan who cares about Alberta and who cares about people so that as we build the movement, it legitimizes more and more and gives more people the courage to join uh, as well, because that's kind of how the world works. We want to join the winning team and we will be the winning team because we're standing in truth. In addition, if you would like to support our webinars, which is also important because if you don't support our webinars, we can't do them. Please get in touch with us through the contact portal on the website, albertaprosperityproject.com and reach out and uh, inquire about sponsoring one of our webinars. Next yeah. week will be I say will be the first week where we have a sponsored webinar and uh, you're going to be introduced to a business or a person who cares about Alberta so much that they're willing to support us in these endeavors. So stay tuned for that and add your name to that as well. And I'm running and, out of words. I run out and, of words and it's the top of the hour. And speaking of which, next week uh, we tentatively, although I think it's more than tentatively now, have Rob Smith, who is now the UCP board president, is going to be coming in and talking to us about what the UCP board is going to be doing, what the government is going to be doing, and how they can make change within the government itself. So I think that'll be a really good uh, webinar for us as well. So that's next Wednesday, which is December 6th. I had to do the math on it on uh, yeah, December 6th. So with you know that, again, thank you. What's that? You know what that means? Uh, December 6th. There's not many more shopping days for you. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> What are you buying me for Christmas? Well, I was implying that you don't have any shopping days left for me. Anyway. <laughs> uh, we won't go there. 
All right. Well, with that, I'm going to wrap up. So again, thank you so much, gentlemen, for your your time and uh, able to educate us more and educate our our viewers. And uh, I'm going to wish everybody an amazing rest of your week. And uh, we will see. I think Chris and I may even do a webinar or a a podcast tomorrow night. Uh, There's lots of stuff to talk about this week. But we have a really cool guest. Not that Dave is not cool, but we have another cool guest. Uh, that's going to be joining us sh- soon on the Chris and Carrie show. So stay tuned okay. for that. Right. See for that. How about, okay. how about we give away a lump of coal and that's a good thing <laughs> as a present. That's right. You can house with it. All right. And with that, good evening. Good night. Okay. Good night. Good night. I had to put that one on. <laughs> <laughs> good night.